Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. Today we're going to close out our series, um, Empty. Uh, the whole um, idea behind the series is the tomb is empty so that your life can be full. I don't want to spend a lot of time in review today uh, because I've got a lot of content that I want to share with you, and um, I want to make the most of our time together. So I want to get right into the title. Our title today is Slowing Down. Look at your neighbor and tell them, slow your roll. All right. Um, a lot of us were empty because we lived too fast, and you don't have to be a prophet to know that technology has caused three things to happen in our world. One, the world has gotten smaller. We're more connected because of technology. Secondly, we, we, the world has gotten more complex. Uh, and then the third thing, the world has speeded up. We are moving faster, and the truth is, is that you are living a much faster lifestyle than your parents did. And your kids will live a faster lifestyle than you. Now, I, I just want to stop here and ask a question. How many of you have ever gotten a, speed, a speeding ticket? Come on, be honest. Raise your hands. All right, now I feel very comfortable talking about slowing down, all right? Um, and, and so today with this, we know that the world is getting faster. And, and if you take a little drive this afternoon on the interstate, you will find out a couple, maybe not on a Sunday, but uh, Monday through Saturday, you would definitely find this out on the interstate that most people are, one, in a hurry, secondly, multitasking. It's amazing some of the things I've seen people do while drive. It's amazing some of the things I've heard about people doing while driving. Some of that includes um, putting their makeup on as they drive don't look at your neighbor. Heard about a man who was shaving as he was driving. We all eat while drive. Come on, somebody. We all do that. Watching TV as they drive. Um, smoking with one hand, and I guess they didn't have the Bluetooth, but they're holding the cell phone with the other hand. My question is, who's holding the wheel? Jesus. All right. I like it. Seen people changing clothes while driving? Come on, this crazy world. Reading a newspaper, reading emails, painting fingernails. All, you get the point. People are in a hurry, they're multitasking, and we are moving faster. And the Bible has a lot to say about when we are in a hurry and we're moving at this fast-paced speed that it has a lot of negative effects on our lives. And I'm going to give you four negative effects it has on our lives before I get to, to the points that I want to give you about slowing down. When we live in a hurry, number one, we feel more stress. When we live in a hurry, we feel more stress. Um, some of us are stressed not only because we live in a hurry, but because we are overworked. And we don't like to hear that a lot of times. A lot of us, we love our work and we just need to be told to slow down, but we're overworked and we're living in a hurry. Ecclesiastes 5 and 3 says, overwork makes for restless sleep. So overwork is an issue. Living in a hurry is an issue. And when we live like this, we are depleted. And a lot of times what I've learned when I'm depleted, I can't give to God what I should be giving to him. I can't give to my family. 
what I should give to them, and, and I become more stressed out. And let me just say, there's nothing wrong with, with moving at a fast pace in life as long as you go with the ebbs and flows, that there are seasons where you are moving fast, but there are also seasons where you're moving slow. Uh, if you're moving fast all the time, that's a problem. All of us need to be refueled, to have our tanks filled back up, to take a break from all the hustle and bustle. So when I live in a hurry, I feel stressed. Number two, I lose my joy. I lose joy when I live life in a hurry. Job 9.25 says, my days go faster than a runner. They fly away without my seeing any joy. The faster I live, the less time I have to enjoy the less time I have to take in some of the blessings that are right in front of me. We've all been at a place in life where we were trying to check all the boxes, get mark off all the to-do list things, and we were actually missing out on the joy of the blessings God had placed right in front of us uh, because our mind was somewhere else. And uh, I do travel quite a bit, and when I travel, here's what I've learned. If I'm on an airplane going 350 miles an hour, um, I have a hard time enjoying anything that I see moving at that speed. If I get off the plane and get in the car, 65, 70 miles an hour, I can take in a little more. But how many know if you really want to enjoy a town, a city, a place, you need to get off the plane, get out of the car, and you need to walk through the town, walk through the city, take in the sounds, the sights, the smells, all of those things to really enjoy what is in front of you. You cannot enjoy something fast. Unless it's me eating. <laughs> Karen asked sometimes, how do you even taste it? I don't care. I'm, I'm hungry. But we can't enjoy things fast. We can't, we, we ha if we're going to enjoy something, we have to slow down. And the culture that we, we live in is moving at, at such a speed that many of us, we're losing, we're, we're, we're missing out on opportunities to have joy, to enjoy things, and we're stressed out because we are moving through life too fast. The third thing that happens, we don't usually think about this, but when we live in a hurry, we're less productive. Now, we all think if I, if I go in a hurry and I check everything off, I'm actually more productive, but actually there's something called the law of diminishing returns. There are times that employers will send employees home because the employees are worn out, and they're paying them for a job, and they're only doing the job halfway because they're tired. It's the law of diminishing uh, returns. And so if you stay fast all the time, you are actually less productive. Now, I'm not really a creative person, but all the creative people will tell you that you become less creative when you are moving at a fast pace all the time that you can't really imagine and dream and, and create when you're in a hurry. And there have been seasons in my life when I have been going, 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 and then found myself in a place where I was not able to dream. Uh, I can remember even a time last year when I, I told the staff, I just don't feel like I can dream or see where we're supposed to go. And, and all I needed was a few days off. Like, to, to think again, to, to get my bearings, to, to be able to slow down enough to, to hear what God was saying. And, and, and here's what Proverbs 21 and 5 says. It says, careful planning puts you ahead in the long run, but hurry and scurry puts you further behind. So a lot of us think that we're being more productive by that fast-paced lifestyle 
but we would actually be more productive if we learned how to rest every once in a while. Um, and that brings me to the fourth thing that happens when we live in a hurry, and, and this is more spiritual, but what happens is, is I can't hear God when I live in a hurry. I can't hear him, and that also means that I can't know him if I'm in a hurry. And I know what some of you are thinking, what do you mean I can't know God if I'm in a hurry? You don't get to know God in a rush. Like you, you, you don't get to know him in, in a hurry. Here's what Psalm 46 and 10 says, be still and know that I am God. If we could take time to, to, to just slow down, some of us would start hearing God more clearly. The first half of that verse goes with the second half. Be still and know. Be still and know. But if we're always in a hurry, we're never going to know him. We have to slow down. So those are the effects of a hurried lifestyle. Now, I want to give you five keys today to slowing down. Come on, hit your neighbor and tell him one more time, slow your roll. Slow your roll. You got to slow down. Every once in a while, it's cool to slow down. Number one, you have to learn contentment. Notice I didn't just put contentment. I said you got to learn contentment. Contentment has to be learned. Here, if you're serious about slowing down, a lot of us, the first thing we do when we want to slow down, we start with our schedule. And that's a mistake because it's not a scheduling problem. It's a heart problem. The reason our, our schedule is so messed up is because our heart is so messed up. We have not learned to be content. Paul said this in Philippians 4 and 11, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So Paul tells us it's something he learned. It, it, he didn't have it automatically that we don't come into the world content. By nature, listen, you're not content. By nature, I'm not content. We all have a nature that we want to make things better, to change them, um, and we want something better than they are. Nothing wrong with that as long as we understand God's idea of contentment, that it, it's something that's learned. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 and 7, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. So at the end of the day, Paul's saying life's not about stuff. Like, yeah, I need some stuff, and that's cool, but I'll be okay even if I don't have stuff. Paul later goes on to tell us that there had been seasons where he had stuff and seasons when he didn't. Seasons that were great, seasons that were bad. But he said, whatever state I'm in, I have learned to be content. Now, something that you need to know about contentment. Here's something contentment is not. Contentment doesn't mean that I live without ambition. There is godly ambition. You should have dreams and goals and things you want to accomplish. How many of you, without a dream, without a vision, without a goal, that, that uh, people perish, right? If we don't have something we're trying to accomplish, we're never going to accomplish anything. So it's okay to have goals, dreams, all those, all those things. But here's what we have to know about contentment. Con contentment means this. I don't need more in order to be happy. Now, this is tough. It, that means that I'm not waiting for more, and then I'll get happy. I'm happy right now. I, I have dreams and goals, but I don't need more to be happy. Happiness, just in case you didn't know it, it's a choice. You're as happy as you choose to be. 
And some of us think, I'll be happy if my circumstances change. No, if you're not happy in your current circumstances, you won't be happy with another set of circumstances. And the reason I know that is because we, are, we never arrive at a place with perfect circumstances. There is always something wrong in our world. Come on, somebody. You never have everything going in your favor. There is always something you're working on, trying to change, trying to fix. Everything's not always perfect, but we have to learn contentment. And and part of that is choosing to be happy in the moment, not waiting for some pie-in-the-sky day that I'll be happy. I'm choosing happiness now. So what drives us to push for more? to want to gain more, to, I, I got to put more money in the bank, I, I, I need more achievements, I need more plaques to hang on the wall. What drives us to do that? And I believe the answer to that question um, can, can be summed up with three myths. All right, I'm going to give you three quick myths that I think drives this. Myth number one, the myth that having more will make me more happy. I can give you a thousand of examples of people who have all kinds of stuff and still not happy. So having more does not guarantee happiness. Again, it's a choice. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of what he possesses. How many of the, the, the greatest things in life don't cost money? If the greatest thing in your life is a house, a boat, or a car, or a stock, you're living a sad life. The greatest thing in my life involves people. Man, it's quiet in here. The greatest things don't don't cost money. And so Jesus also made this statement. He said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his own soul? Proverbs 23 and 4 says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. He says it's wise to restrain yourself from going all the time just to make more money. He said it's stupid just to go and wear yourself out, live at breakneck speed, never take a rest for yourself or for your family just to accumulate more wealth. He's saying it's dumb to give up your health for wealth. Now, check this out. Something that I've noticed that most people in life, um, they have a major switch at like the halfway mark. The first half of our lives, many of us, we sacrifice our health to get wealth. Like we don't take care of ourselves, we don't take a day off, we go, we go, we go, we go, we don't live with any balance because we're going to make money, we're going to have wealth, we're going to make this happen, and as a result, our body starts breaking down, and in the second half of life, we are forced to sacrifice wealth to regain our health. See, we we don't want to hear this, but all the money we make in the first half of life, we start spending it on doctors in the second half of life. Why don't we gain a little wisdom, live a balanced life, and let's have our wealth and our health and learn how to relax and learn how to slow down so we don't spend everything you work for on doctors and people taking care of you. See, the second myth is that doing more will make me more worthy. In other words, we have this this belief, it's a myth, but we believe if I do more, people will love me. If I accomplish, accomplish more, people will value me. I'll be more accepted. I'll, I'll gain approval. If you get your work and your worth confused, 
you're going to be stressed out your entire life. If your worth is attached to your work, I've been there before. That's a miserable place to live. Your worth does not come from your job. Your worth comes that while you were a sinner, Jesus died for you. That ought to show your value, your worth. So it's not in how much money I've made or what kind of job I have or don't have, but it's this whole idea that if I make more, I'm more important. And, and here's the thing we all need to just, we just need to say it. The thing that motivates a lot of high achievers, people that achieve a lot, of, they're just high achievers, the thing that motivates a lot of those folks is insecurity. The insecurity drives them to achieve more. And, and there's nothing wrong with being a high achiever. But what I have found behind, I, I, I've actually got to meet some people that are very successful and, and, and spend time with them and, and you can see even behind some of the most successful people I've ever met was an insecurity. Something that was driving them to be successful. Something in them wanting the world to know I'm important, I'm valuable, look at what I've done. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4 verse 6 says, it's better to only have a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. You ought to think on that one for a little while. Sometimes our ambition is actually connected to a very unhealthy motivation. There's an insecurity. There's a fear of failure. There's guilt. Some of us, it's just we have jealousy and envy, and so it drives us. And then the third myth is the myth that life is a competition with other people. Your life is not a competition with others. And we fall into this trap that we're competing with our neighbor, competing with our boss, our friends, all that stuff. And, and I, I don't really understand this one because a lot of us, we're trying to do things to impress people we don't even like. Like the people we're trying to impress and catch up with, we don't even care about them. But we just want to show them we can do it. And we forget that we have a unique thumbprint, fingerprint, voice print, eye print. Nobody on the planet is wired like you. God has made you completely unique. And, and get, get this, God wants you to be okay with being you. A lot of us have a hard time doing that, though, because we live in a world that is constantly comparing, constantly throwing things out. This is the life you should have. This is what you should, and, and, and the whole time we're comparing our life with somebody else's life, comparing our boyfriend with somebody else's boyfriend, come on, our spouse with somebody else's spouse, our front yard with somebody else's front yard. The grass isn't always greener on the other side, y'all. Sometimes that's just where the sewer is, right? Like it's underneath that. That's why it looks so good. And, and we live in, in such a social media age and, and, and social media is wonderful, but what it has done, it's caused all of us to compare our normal lives with everybody's sports center top 10. They're highlight reel. And so we look at somebody's life on social media. Guys, you, you just need to know everybody puts their best foot forward there. 
They are showing you the Sports Center top 10. They're not showing you, like that dunk you saw the other night, some guy done an amazing dunk, and you're like, man, that's awesome. What you don't know, he only scored two points and was one for 12. It wasn't that great of a night. He was terrible. He hurt the team. So what? He dunked one. We, 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 we got to stop comparing our life with everybody else's life and be okay with what God has dealt to us and start enjoying the people God has put around us, our families, our kids, the calling God has put in us. And don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Let's just be obedient with what God has called us to do and be okay with being us. It's all right to be, to, to be okay with yourself. And a lot of us, we, we can't find contentment or learn contentment because we fall into the trap of comparing. See, if you want to slow down, if you're serious about slowing down, you have to start in your heart, not your schedule. You have to stop comparing. Proverbs 14 and 30 says this, a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Jealousy rots it away. Man. If I were to ask, anybody want to live longer? Woo! God says, relax. If you live uptight, high strung, stressed out, living in a hurry, God says, you're going to drop dead quicker. That if you, if you want to lengthen your life, come on, hit your neighbor and tell him, slow your roll. Now, nah, that ain't going to work. Hit another neighbor and tell him, chill out. Come on, find somebody else and say, relax. We, we got to learn to relax. The more stressed out I am, I'm going to die quicker. So I need to hang loose. Jealousy rots my, my life away. And, and you cannot be relaxed and jealous at the same time. You can't be relaxed and in, envious at the same time. So we got to slow down. Second thing we got to do, not only learn contentment, but we got to listen before speaking. Yeah, this is going to go well. <laughs> this is part of slowing down. It's obvious if you watch TV at all, news channels at all, people don't care to interrupt one another. Like as someone's speaking, somebody else butts in. We're constantly cutting people off, not even allowing them to finish a thought or a sentence. And, and we got to ask, why, why are we so rude that we cut people off as they speak? And I think one of the answers to that is that we've become impatient. That we're unwilling to allow people to finish a thought. James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Something very interesting that stood out to me this week about this verse, a couple of things about it. If you do the first two, the third is automatic. If I'm quick to listen and slow to speak, my anger issues will take care of itself. If you're angry all the time, it's because you talk too much. I'm not kidding. You don't listen and you talk too much. You're quick to speak, you don't want to listen, and you wonder why you're angry all the time, and nobody wants to hang out with you. I'm not being mean. This is just the truth. 
Quick to listen, slow to speak will solve my anger issues. It's good preaching. We just don't want to hear it. Ecclesiastes 5 and 2 says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God's in heaven, you're on earth, so let your words be few. Some of the wisest people I've ever met spoke less often than everybody else. It's just when they did speak, it, it meant something. It carried weight. There was wisdom behind their words. Proverbs 29 and 20 says, Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. This one's awesome. God says if you talk all the time, there's more hope for a fool. If you're quick to speak, more hope for a fool. You guys know as well as I do, nobody wants to buy anything from that slick salesman who spits out 7,000 words in 30 seconds. If they talk that fast and you have that much to say, we're running. Why? Because we want them to slow down and tell us what we need to know so that we can understand it. More hope for a fool than someone who is quick to speak. The third key to slowing down is obey the fourth commandment. Exodus 20 and 9 says, you have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is the day of rest dedicated to me. God's so um, about this principle that he put it in the top ten. God is saying that one day out of every seven, you ought to rest. One day out of every seven, you need to relax and be intentional. One day out of seven, you need to turn the cell phone off. You're not God. You don't have to answer your phone every time it rings. You don't have to respond to every text that comes. It's okay to have a day off and not worry about anything else. Just chill out. Have a day that you are resting. And the day, don't get confused about the day. A lot of people want to argue about which days to say. It don't matter as long as you have one. I don't care if it's Monday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't care what day it is. But have one day a week that you chill out a little bit. You relax. And, and God... God designed it that way, and he even rested. And we need to know, God did not rest because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't need sleep. God was trying to show us a principle that we do need rest, that we, we work, but there is one day a week that we, we're going to relax and be intentional. And I, I want to suggest to you, don't call it a day off. Call it your Sabbath. Just, just that wording changes the tone of it. That if it's just a day off, we're tempted to violate it. I want to speak to the people who are not clock in, clock out people. Like maybe you're a business owner, you're running a company, you got a lot of things going on. I want to speak to you because we people who don't clock in and clock out that are that are kind of running their own business or uh, that that kind of lifestyle. We are we're quick to think. I'll just go ahead and work another day. I'll just put in this day. I'll just put in this day. And we, we don't ever really take time. We say things like, I'll do it for a little while. And then a little while becomes two years that we haven't consistently taken a day off. You, you hit your neighbor and tell him, relax again. Come on. You, you, you got to trust. Part of the Sabbath, listen, part of the Sabbath is, is trusting God. Did you know that? That every seven years, it was a Sabbath year, and God said on the seventh year, let everybody go free, forgive all the debts, don't work. And, and what did God do in, on that seventh year? Wouldn't y'all like a seventh year Sabbath? Nobody worked, and God paid all your bills. Come on, somebody. Wouldn't you enjoy? I mean, one year, we just hang out. Woo! Like, and, and, so, and, God, and, and the principle was, God is trying to let us know, I can do more in your rest than you can do in your work. 
And that's the principle of the Sabbath every week, that one day a week you chill out and trust God that he's going to meet your needs. So on my Sabbath, there's three things I need to do. Number one, I need to rest my body. Your body needs rest. All right? I know you're Superman, but you, you still need rest. You got, you got to chill out. Uh, we, we, we live in an over-adrenalized society. We're constantly going, our bodies need rest. If you don't slow down by choice, eventually circumstances will make you slow down. And you don't want to have to come to grips with that in a hospital bed. All right? Secondly, I have to recharge my emotions. Do things like being quiet. Uh, have quiet time with God. Reconnect with friends, family, relationships. Um, some kind of, of recreation that rejuvenates. I want to be intentional about this part. Recreation that rejuvenates. Not competitive <laughs> recreation. Some of you think that you, you, you're being rejuvenated out on the golf course. And the only thing that's happening out there is you're cussing and you're mad at the player you're playing against and you're using God's name out there, but it's not worship. <laughs> so you may want to throw, you know, give those up and find something a little bit more relaxing. I only threw the club 50 yards, Pastor. I'm cool. Third thing is, is on your Sabbath, refocus your spirit. That means that I worship. When On your day off, on your Sabbath, it doesn't mean you take time off from God. It means that you get in God's presence. You, you, you make time to worship, to pray. Why? Because God can do something in you that no hobby can do. God can refill your tank more than anything that we could fill our lives up with. Psalm 127 and 2 says, It's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know that God enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Do you know God gets glory out of you taking a day off? Why? Because you're showing, I trust God. I believe he'll take care of us even if I rest a little bit. Um, the fourth thing you have to do to slow down, pray before deciding. Pray before deciding. Um, when I say pause and pray, I don't mean wait a year. I, I, I don't mean, some of y'all say I'm praying about it, but that's your uh, cop out for procrastination. Because you've been praying about that thing for 23 years. I'm tempted to say something, but I won't there. Um, when I say pause and pray, I'm saying you can be in a business meeting and you don't have to like look at the person across from you and say, I need a time out. I'm going to go pray about this. I'll be back in 30 minutes. I'm talking like in that moment, take 15 seconds and say, God, give me your wisdom and your perspective and then make a decision. And you don't have to be weird and goofy over in the corner praying in tongues and then coming back. Like just pause and say, God, give me wisdom and your perspective. How many of just that little pause, God will give you the right perspective to make the right decision? Because why? If you acknowledge God in everything, what will he do? He will direct and order your steps if, if we acknowledge him. So pause and pray. Take 10, 15 seconds and ask God in that moment to give you the right perspective. 50 years from today, people aren't going to be saying, did Chad Dingus make fast decisions? They're going to ask, did Chad Dingus make wise decisions? 
Nobody cares how fast we make a decision. They want to know, did we make the right decision? Right? Like, that we, that we led well. We made good decisions when, when it was decision time. Uh, so don't use I'm praying about it as an excuse. Pause and pray and then make a decision. Proverbs 19 and 2 says, zeal without knowledge is not good. What does that mean? It means that if you're all enthusiastic about an opportunity that you don't have all the facts on, you need to chill out and gain the facts, gain a little wisdom. How many know before you take on any opportunity, you should know all the details? You ought to do some fact-finding. Ask some questions. Um, Zeal without knowledge is not good. Proverbs 19 and 2 says, A person who moves too quickly may go the wrong way. Have you ever had to redo work because you got in a hurry the first time? This place is full of liars. The Bible don't have a good thing to say about liars. We've all got in a hurry, did something that we had to go back and do again. I don't, I don't know how you were brought up, but my dad always said, son, if you'll do it right the first time. How many got it, you ever had their parent tell them that? If you'll do it right the first time. And yet we have to go back and redo something and spend double, triple the time because we didn't do it right the first time. Proverbs twenty twenty five says, an impulsive vow is a trap. Later, you'll wish you could get out of it. I love this verse because it's the principle that says it's always easier to get into something than it is to get out of something. Be careful about making impulsive commitments. Why? Because it's easier to get in than it is to get out. How many of you would agree that it's easier to get into debt than out of debt? Right? And man, it's easy. Come on, grab that credit. Let's go. We go charge 12000 in a second. It's a whole lot easier to get into that than it is to get out of it. Let's take it a step further. How many of us understand it's easier to get into a relationship than out of it? Come on, have you ever broke up with somebody? Man, y'all are like nervous, aren't you? Come on, you you, you said yes and you're dating and then you're like, man, it's not working and you got to have that talk. Hey, baby, I know we got into this mess, but I'm ready to get out of it. That's not easy. It's not easy. Once you get in, that's the easy part. Getting out's tough. How many of you would agree that it's easier to get into trouble than out of it? It's easier to gain weight than lose it. Easier to fill your schedule than fulfill your schedule. There's only one exception that I have found. Like, it's always easier to get in than to get out except for freshly washed jeans. They're a whole lot easier to get out of than to get into. Some of y'all don't even get it. Just trying to lighten the mood, man. Come on. What is God saying? He's saying, I want you to ponder before promising. That that you reflect before you decide. All those things. So let let me say it like this. Every time... You add something in your life, you need to eliminate something. This will change your world. You cannot keep adding and adding to your schedule and never taking anything off of it. If you're going to put on a new hat, you're going to have to remove an old hat. 
We don't like that because we don't understand good leadership is not just knowing what to do. Good leadership is knowing what to stop doing. What, what is it I need to quit doing? You can get so many irons in the fire that you put the fire out. If you're burning the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. You're going to burn out. Let me ask this. How many of you have a hard time saying no to people or opportunities? Come on, raise your hands if you have a hard, like you're a yes person. Yes, yes, yes. I, I want to, for the next time you're asked to do something or have an opportunity, I want you to pause long enough to consider three questions. One, I want you to ask, is this worth it? Is it worth it? Important question. Is it worth it? When you're facing an opportunity, you need to ask, is it worth my time? Is it worth my energy? Is it worth my effort, my money, my life? Every time you give yourself to an activity, you're exchanging your life for that activity because your time is your life. You're giving your life for something. When you go home this afternoon and you watch that one-hour TV show, how many of you can't ever get it back? Nothing wrong with doing that, but you got to make a decision. Is, you know, this hour, giving myself to that, is it worth it? James 1 and 5, if you, if, if you need wisdom to know what you should do, ask God, he will give it to you. So ask God, is it worth it? Secondly, you need to ask this question, what am I going to give up? What am I going to give up? How many of you have ever made a to-do list? All right, I want to suggest that you make another list and you call it the don't-do list. Make a list of things you're not going to do anymore. Say, it ain't that easy. Yeah, it is. You're in control of your life. You get to make decisions. I'm going to take a one, make a third list and call this list what matters most list. Come on, find out what's important. Find out if you're going to add things, what, what are the things I'm going to quit doing? Ask, is it worth it? What am I going to give up? And then you need to learn. It's not a question. You just need to learn when to say no. I used to be the yes person. Yes, 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 all the time. Even if it was at my own detriment, my family's detriment, always yes. But now I say no as often as I say yes. doesn't make me a bad person. It's just I'm not God, and I can't keep up with every opportunity and every, everything people need me to do. You can't either. Come on, hit your neighbor and tell them it's okay to say no. It's okay. So if we're going to slow down, we have to learn contentment, listen before speaking, obey the fourth commandment, pause and pray as the worship team comes back. Trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. If you're serious about slowing down, you have to trust God's timing. At the end of the day, impatience is a lack of trust. Impatience is a lack of trust. When we are impatient, we are saying to God, God, I don't really trust you with this. I, I, can, I can handle it. I'm going to make it happen. I don't really trust you with this process. And so we get worried. We start hurrying around. We're trying to make stuff happen. And we struggle and we strive. And, and, and nothing's really changing. Here's what Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 says. God does everything just right and on time. But people can never completely understand what he's doing. 
we all know God has a plan for our life. But what we fail to, re to recognize is not only does God have a plan, God has a timetable for your life. Now, let's, let's be real honest today. Sometimes God doesn't explain his timetable, and it ticks us off. Come on, anybody ever been mad because you didn't understand God's timetable? Like, God, I thought I would have this by now. I thought this would be done by now. I wanted that building out there three years ago. But now seeing the steel go up and the season of growth we've been in, how many of that thing's right on time? It's God's timetable. It's God's timetable. He knows what he's doing. He has a plan, but he also has a timetable. Part of maturing, listen to this. All the parents know what I'm talking about. Part of maturing and helping your children grow up is helping them to understand the difference between no and not yet. How I many? There's a difference between no and not yet. Like it's not a no, it's just a not yet. You, you'll get there. And you're, they're like, when? And you're like, I'll tell you when you get there. They don't like that either. But as a follower of Jesus, there are some things God hasn't told you no about. Listen to me. He hasn't told you no. He has said, not yet. And, and God's timetable, listen, it's perfect. It's perfect. Here's what the, the prophet Habakkuk said. He said, these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. I, I want to encourage somebody who has a dream, a vision from God, and you know God has spoken to you, and, and it just seems like it's Man, when's this thing ever going to happen? I just want to encourage you and say, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I, I want to say in confidence and just speak prophetically over you, it's coming. It's coming. It may not be exactly on your timetable and exactly when you wanted it, but when it shows up, it will speak and it will not lie. It will be a blessing to you. It will be right on time. You won't, you'll be able to put all the pieces of the puzzle together once it comes and it will make sense then. God has a reason for the timetable. You wonder why certain doors open at certain seasons for your life is because God said, I told you no in the past, but I, it's not an, it wasn't really a no forever. It was a not yet. So now I'm going to open this door for you and allow you to walk through. And some of you have been praying for some things, and you've been living in such a hurry, but in this season, God is saying, I want you to slow down, chill out, relax, and watch what I'll do while you rest. It's a powerful principle. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Very simple, but what I loved about this message, it's so practical. It's just go home and do these things. Go home and talk about being contentment with, content with where you are. Pause and pray. Take a day off. Amen? Just, just chill out a little bit. God's working. Even when you can't see God working, man, He's working. Even when you can't figure it out, He's working. Some of you have been disappointed. I, I just sense the Holy Spirit. You've been disappointed and you've been discouraged over some things because it didn't go the way you thought it should go. But what you don't know, what God is about to do in your life is better than what you had even hoped for.
that, that it's going to be better. Like, man, if you're single, listen, don't settle. Well, that's the only thing I could get. That's not a good way to head into marriage. What if God wants to bless your socks off with your spouse? Come on, what if he wants to send you somebody and you have to say, man, I married, I don't know how this happened. God is good. Don't settle. Whatever, don't settle. God wants to bring his best into your life. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around. I'm going to speak to the people in this place today. Maybe this message spoke to you and you've been living a hurried, fast-paced life that has left you empty. Jesus has given us an invitation if we're worn out and tired. He said, bring your burdens to me. I'll carry them. I never meant for you to carry those things. I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you're here and you're under the weight of sin today and Jesus is not the Lord and Savior of your life and you need the sin lifted, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. If that is you, say, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life today. I want to do that today. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that is me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anyone at all, thank you for this hand up here. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Say, that's, that's me. I, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anyone else? Thank you for the two online and the one up here. God bless you. Let, let's pray together, every voice. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess you as my Lord and Savior today. I'm asking you to forgive me for all of my sins, to come into my heart, to save me. Today, I put my trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give all those people a big hand. Amen. We welcome you into the family of God today. We we'll ask the prayer team and staff to come, and we're going to do one more song. If you need prayer, don't leave without prayer today. Before we sing this last song, let's give God the ovation of the day. Come on, let's just give God a praise. God bless you today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.